0: Chapter Three of Lilith This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Pete Williams. Lilith by George MacDonald. Chapter Three The Raven. I turned and looked behind me. All was vague and uncertain, as when one cannot distinguish between fog and field, between cloud and mountainside. One fact only was plain, that I saw nothing I knew. Imagining myself involved in a visual illusion, and that touch would correct sight, I stretched my arms, and felt about me, walking in this direction and that, if, haply where I could see nothing, I might yet come in contact with something. But my search was vain. Instinctively, then, as to the only living thing near me, I turned to the raven, which stood a little way off, regarding me with an expression at once respectful and quizzical. Then the absurdity of seeking counsel from such a one struck me, and I turned again, overwhelmed with bewilderment, not unmingled with fear. Had I wandered into a region where both the material and psychical relations of our world had ceased to hold— "'might a man at any moment step beyond the realm of order "'and become the sport of the lawless? "'Yet I saw the raven, felt the ground under my feet, "'and heard a sound as of wind in the lowly plants around me. "'How did I get here?' I said, "'apparently aloud, for the question was immediately answered. "'You came through the door,' replied an odd, rather harsh voice. "'I looked behind, then all about me, but saw no human shape.' The terror that madness might be at hand laid hold upon me. Must I henceforth place no confidence either in my senses or my consciousness? The same instant I knew it was the raven that had spoken, for he stood looking up at me with an air of waiting. The sun was not shining, yet the bird seemed to cast a shadow, and the shadow seemed part of himself. I beg my reader to aid me in the endeavor to make myself intelligible, if here understanding be indeed possible between us. I was in a world, or call it a state of things, an economy of conditions, an idea of existence, so little correspondent with the ways and modes of this world, which we are apt to think the only world, that the best choice I can make of word or phrase is but an adumbration of what I would convey. I begin, indeed, to fear that I have undertaken an impossibility, undertaken to tell what I cannot tell, because no speech at my command will fit the forms in my mind. Already I have set down statements I would gladly change did I know how to substitute a truer utterance, but as far as I try to fit the reality with nearer words I find myself in danger of losing the things themselves, and feel like one in process of awaking from a dream, with the thing that seemed familiar gradually yet swiftly changing through a succession of forms until its very nature is no longer recognizable. "'I bethought me that a bird capable of addressing a man "'must have the right of a man to a civil answer, "'perhaps, as a bird, even a greater claim. "'A tendency to croak caused a certain roughness in his speech, "'but his voice was not disagreeable, "'and what he said, although conveying little enlightenment, "'did not sound rude. "'I did not come through any door,' I rejoined. "'I saw you come through it. "'I saw you with my own ancient eyes.' "'asserted the raven, positively, but not disrespectfully. "'I never saw any door,' I persisted. "'Of course not,' he returned. "'All the doors you had yet seen, and you haven't seen many, were doors in. "'Here you came upon a door out. "'The strange thing to you,' he went on thoughtfully, "'will be that the more doors you go out of, the farther you get in oblige me by telling me where I am that is impossible you know nothing about whereness. the only way to come to know where you are is to begin to make yourself at home how am I to begin that where everything is so strange by doing something what anything and the sooner you begin the better for until you are at home you'll find it as difficult to get out "'as it is to get in. "'I have unfortunately found it too easy to get in. "'Once out I shall not try again. "'You have stumbled in, and may possibly stumble out again. "'Whether you have got in unfortunately remains to be seen. "'Do you never go out, sir?' "'When I please I do, but not often, or for long. "'Your world is such a half-baked sort of place.' It is at once so childish and so self-satisfied. In fact, it is not sufficiently developed for an old raven, at your service. Am I wrong, then, in presuming that a man is superior to a bird? That is as it may be. We do not waste our intellects in generalizing, but take man or bird as we find him. I think it is now my turn to ask you a question. "'You have the best of rights,' I replied, "'in the fact that you can do so.' "'Well answered,' he rejoined. "'Tell me, then, who you are, if you happen to know.' "'How should I help knowing I am myself and must know?' "'If you know you are yourself, "'you know that you are not somebody else. "'But do you know that you are yourself? "'Are you sure you are not your own father? "'Or, excuse me, your own fool? "'Who are you, pray?' I became at once aware that I could give him no notion of who I was—indeed, who was I? It would be no answer to say I was who. Then I understood that I did not know myself—did not know what I was, had no grounds on which to determine that I was one and not the other. As for the name I went by in my own world, I had forgotten it, and did not care to recall it, for it meant nothing and what it might be was plainly of no consequence here. I had indeed almost forgotten that there it was a custom for everybody to have a name. So I held my peace, and it was my wisdom, for what should I say to a creature such as this raven, who saw through accident into entity? Look at me, he said, and tell me who I am. As he spoke, he turned his back, and instantly I knew him. He was no longer a raven, but a man above the middle height with a stoop, very thin, and wearing a long black tailcoat. Again he turned, and I saw him a raven. I have seen you before, sir, I said, feeling foolish rather than surprised. How can you say so, from seeing me behind? he rejoined. Did you ever see yourself behind? You have never seen yourself at all. Tell me now, then, who I am. "'I humbly beg your pardon,' I answered. "'I believe you were once the librarian of our house. "'But more who, I do not know.' "'Why do you beg my pardon?' "'Because I took you for a raven,' I said, "'seeing him before me as plainly a raven as bird or man could look. "'You did me no wrong,' he returned. "'Calling me a raven, or thinking me one, "'you allowed me existence, "'which is the sum of what one can demand of his fellow beings.' therefore in return i will give you a lesson no one can say he is himself until first he knows that he is and then what himself is in fact nobody is himself and himself is nobody there is more in it than you can see now but not more than you need to see you have i fear got into this region too soon but none the less, you must get to be at home in it for home as you may or may not know is the only place where you can go out and in. There are places you can go into, and places you can go out of, but the one place, if you do but find it, where you may go out and in both, is home. He turned to walk away, and again I saw the librarian. He did not appear to have changed, only to have taken up his shadow. I know this seems nonsense, but I cannot help it. I gazed after him until I saw him no more, but whether distance hid him or he disappeared among the heather, I cannot tell. Could it be that I was dead, I thought, and did not know it? Was I in what we used to call the world beyond the grave? And must I wander about seeking my place in it? How was I to find myself at home? The raven said I must do something. What could I do here? And "'Would that make me somebody? "'For now, alas, I I was nobody.' "'I took the way Mr. Raven had gone, and went slowly after him. "'Presently I saw a wood of tall, slender pine-trees, and turned toward it. "'The odor of it met me on the way, and I made haste to bury myself in it. Plunged at length in its twilight glooms, I spied before me something with a shine, standing between two of the stems. It had no colour, but was like the translucent trembling of the hot air that rises, in a radiant summer noon, from the sun baked ground, vibrant like the smitten chords of a musical instrument. What it was grew no plainer as I went nearer, and when I came close up, I ceased to see it; only the form and colour of the trees beyond seemed strangely uncertain. I would have passed between the stems, but received a slight shock, stumbled, and fell. When I rose, I saw before me the wooden wall of the garret chamber. I turned, and there was the mirror, on whose top the black eagle seemed but that moment to have perched. Terror seized me, and I fled. Outside the chamber the wide garret spaces had an uncanny look. They seemed to have long been waiting for something. It had come, and they were waiting again. A shudder went through me on the winding stair. The house had grown strange to me. Something was about to leap upon me from behind. I darted down the spiral, struck against the wall, and fell, rose, and ran. On the next floor I lost my way and had gone through several passages a second time ere I found the head of the stair. At the top of the great stair I had come to myself a little, and in a few moments... I sat, recovering my breath, in the library. Nothing should ever again make me go up that last terrible stair. The garret at the top of it pervaded the whole house. It sat upon it, threatening to crush me out of it. The brooding brain of the building, it was full of mysterious dwellers, one or other of whom might any moment appear in the library where I sat. I was nowhere safe. I would let, I would sell the dreadful place in which an aerial portal stood ever open to creatures whose life was other than human. I would purchase a crag in Switzerland and thereon build a wooden nest of one story with never a garret above it, guarded by some grand old peak that would send down nothing worse than a few tons of whelming rock. I knew all the time that my thinking was foolish, and was even aware of a certain undertone of contemptuous humor in it, but suddenly it was checked, and I seemed again to hear the croak of the raven. If I know nothing of my own garret, I thought, what is there to secure me against my own brain? Can I tell what it is even now generating, what thought it may present me the next moment, the next month, or a year away? What is the heart of my brain? What is behind my think? Am I there at all? Who, what am I? I could no more answer the question now than when the raven put it to me in, at. Wherein, Where at? I said, and gave myself up as knowing anything of myself or the universe. I started to my feet, hurried across the room to the masked door where the mutilated volume, sticking out from the flat of soulless, bodiless, non-existent books, appeared to beckon me, went down on my knees, and opened it as far as its position would permit, but could see nothing. I got up again, lighted a taper, and, peeping as into a pair of reluctant jaws, perceived that the manuscript was verse. Further I could not carry discovery. Beginnings of lines were visible on the left-hand page, and ends of lines on the other, but I could not, of course, get at the beginning and end of a single line, and was unable, in what I could read, to make any guess at the sense. The mere words, however, woke in me feelings which to describe was, from their strangeness, impossible. Some dreams, some poems, some musical phrases, some pictures, wake feelings such as one never had before, new in color and form spiritual sensations, as it were, hitherto unproved. Here, some of the phrases, some of the senseless half-lines, some even of the individual words, affected me in similar fashion, as with the aroma of an idea, rousing in me a great longing to know what the poem or poems might, even yet in their mutilation, hold or suggest. I copied out a few of the larger shreds attainable and tried hard to complete some of the lines, but without the least success. The only thing I gained in the effort was so much weariness that when I went to bed, I fell asleep at once and slept soundly. In the morning, all that horror of the empty garret spaces had left me. End of chapter 3. Recording by Pete Williams, Pittsburgh, P.A.